The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Great to have you in on a Wednesday. It's Hale Varsity Radio. We're presented by Currency. For all your equipment financing needs, go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark back with us and can join us today on Hale Varsity. Numbers to get in at 466-3776-466-3776-800-825-5865. Those are the numbers. Can email the show chris at halevarsity.com and can always watch and contribute in the stream yard different ways or also on Twitter. Our Twitter handles, myself, Chris Schmidt, at Schmidt underscore radio, at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal, and for Connor Clark at C underscore Clark underscore 27. You want to watch the show, be our guest, can uh, provide comments or input with the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Uh, watch there. Also watch on Hale Varsity's Twitter at HVarsity Radio. That's where you catch uh, Andrew and Damon, a weekday morning, 7 to 9. Be sure to catch Coffee and Cream. And then the ESPN Lincoln Twitter platform, uh, ESPN Lincoln Facebook, ESPN Lincoln Twitter. And, of course, our great affiliates across the uh, state of Nebraska, Carney Hastings and uh, Columbus, along with Omaha and Lincoln. So, guys, uh, we'll dive in. We'll get into some of the new uh, official announcements with the Nebraska coaching hire. But uh, much of the same with Nebraska basketball last night, and you want to will it into existence or pull a George Costanza and speak it into existence. Uh, A lot of different uh, methods to Costanza's madness, but uh, madness all the same if you're a Nebraska basketball fan with where this team is at versus what you hoped they'd be. They'd been able to kind of surprise you right with a win over Iowa uh able to hang on against Minnesota Minnesota's nothing to write home about that's a game this team this program typically loses right you saw him go tooth and nail against Purdue payback's going to be a mother on 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 Friday I think uh in West Lafayette but Illinois comes to town last night eight o'clock tip jam-packed PBA And listen, Nebraska not up to the task. Illinois is clearly more talented, clearly more physical. And although both teams shot horribly and had no way to get into any offensive rhythm, uh, Illinois responded like the team I think we think they are. And that's a team that's going to knock on the door of a Big Ten championship or at least be in that upper tier. Uh, That's what they did last night, the 17-to-1 run to Slam the door and lock it was impressive. Uh, really no rhythm for Derek Walker, who was saddled with foul trouble with 
much of the, the, the roster, quite honestly. We'll hear from Fred Hoiberg here in a little bit. But, guys, I don't want to blame officials. That's too easy, too weak. But this is a problem for the Big Ten. And it goes back to something that was said over the weekend with Micah Shrewsbury, the Penn State head coach. It was pretty much a no-blood, no-foul game over the weekend for Penn State. He let it fly a little bit in a Sunday post game. No fine, no comment from the league. But it's funny, you fast forward to, to last night where everything and anything was called in the first half uh, where you had 12 fouls called on Nebraska, 12 on Illinois, and both teams sucked the first six minutes trying to get anything to go in the hoop. It was just a pretty gritty defensive performance from both teams. But the, the officiating played a part as far as watchability. You probably wanted to run back to the bar across from PBA or get in line for another double at PBA last night because of how that game went, at least how it started. And you got to figure things out from an officiating standpoint. Give me some sort of consistency uh, with what you're going to call, how you're going to call. Also, you have to adapt as a player. But that's a storyline. And too many times you jump on social media Uh, It's not a warm and friendly place, but it's not necessarily wrong in some instances, guys, with the officiating being talked about as much as the game. Well, I think the the bigger problem was Nebraska's offense. We've had Fred Hoiberg as the coach, noted offensive mastermind for years, and he's yet to put together an offense that makes me – like think, oh yeah, that's a Fred Hoiberg put together offense. It works. It's it's a, it's a high flying offense, and I'm going to do something here that I think this offense should be doing. That's I'm going to defer. You know what? There's guys in this team that are shooting the basketball. Probably shouldn't be shooting the basketball as much as they are. They look like they're in rhythm. They should be deferring to other guys. I'm going to defer to Connor Clark here on this one because Connor's a guy that watches a hell of a lot more college basketball than me. He's passionate. He's enthusiastic. And I want to get Connor's take before I jump in and make a fool of myself going yeah, going no. too hard after Fred Hoiberg. No, for, Connor, Fred, Connor's a guy I value his opinion and his insight in the game of basketball as as do i and connor you, you got what you got and offensively for nebraska hence their identity this year is to be a defense first team because that'll travel and hope you get enough offense turnovers getting out rebounded and missed free throws helped contribute to a nightmare last night well the thing that amazes me the most is that you come off one of your better offensive performances of the year against Minnesota. Now, mm-hmm. granted, the game went into overtime, but they put up 81 points. And they come out, and they just couldn't hit anything. Now, the defense was okay to start the game, but you got guys such as Vandemel taking threes when he probably shouldn't be. He's not a three-point shooter. Guys just couldn't hit shots. Greasel struggled from the free-throw line. They turned the ball over a lot as well, especially on dribble drives. I mean, they got stripped a ton last night. Give Illinois a lot of credit. Their defense showed up, and they showed out as well. As far as the officiating in the first half, I think it was bad both ways. It was just bad, though. The point is, it was bad. (laughs) It it was bad. It was bad. And the fact that I think I counted seven illegal screens combined in that first half, that's something I've never seen before. And I got a friend who works for a different radio station. He was there covering the game last night, sits next to the guy who evaluates Big Ten officiating, and he counted about six head and hands in that, uh, in that first half from, from that official evaluator. Um, so it wasn't good last night, and Nebraska wasn't very good last night either. And 
Losing Derek Walker early in that first half to foul trouble didn't help. They got about 14 minutes of that first half without Derek on the floor. And if you watch Nebraska at all this year, you know he's the focal point of that offense. And then when Juwan Gary goes down, that's a hold-your-breath moment. He doesn't return, so that's a big loss. So there's your two biggest contributors from the previous game. Now Derek Walker played essentially the entire second half. But when those things don't go your way and then you struggle to hit shots, I know Breidenbach gave him a spark offensively late in the game and kind of crept him back in. But then that 17-1 to run by Illinois really shut the door. And I think you have to give a lot of credit to Terrence uh, Shannon Jr. as well. Mm -hmm. He looked phenomenal last night. One of the best games I think he's had in his collegiate career. So you got to give credit to Illinois, uh, but obviously a lot to work on for Nebraska, especially offensively. Well thought out. And I did not know that the Big Ten somebody send somebody on site to physically evaluate. You want to talk about a thankless job? Uh, no thanks. There's not enough zeros on a check for me to be the guy that has to go watch a ref show or watch a guy that's on the tail end of a four-game bender because they're not full-time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and I wonder with those, if the officiating changes within a game knowing there's guys on site watching you saying they're watching you every single move and you're going to say, you know what, i got to call this game a little bit tighter because I'm trying to go with the, the rules of the rule. I know I, whenever I, I see an evaluator out there, and I'm, 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 I'm umpire, excuse me, which is once or twice a year you're getting evaluated out there, you better believe I'm giving you my best performance, no leeway, I'm going to be like, calling as perfect a game as I can. I wonder if that changes it even like when you get up into well, Big Ten play. It's it's weird, though, because you bring that up, and yeah, you, you know you have somebody evaluating you, so you want to be on your game, but then look at how inconsistent half one was mm. compared to yeah. half number two. I mean, and I knew that was going to happen too at halftime. I'm like, watch. It, they're going to let them play in the second half, because when is the last time you've seen 24 fouls combined called and a half of basketball. There were more fouls than Husker points in that first 20 minutes. Yeah. So, I mean, the inconsistency was a little bit unreal last night. And again, I, I'm not blaming the refs for a Nebraska loss. They they lost the game because of poor execution, but it was definitely a, a ref show as much as you can get it. Well, another thing we have to mention here is the loss of Jawan Gary in that first half. I think things changed monumentally for the Huskers, especially on the defensive end when Jawan Gary went out and He's dealt with shoulder injuries before in his career. It's not a first to have a shoulder pop out for him during a game. Uh, it's unfortunate that he had to miss the second half of the game. But what I know about some of my friends and acquaintances that have that similar type of shoulder injury where you just can't stop your shoulder from popping out of places, generally the more it happens, the quicker you're able to come back where instead of becoming uh, a couple week-long recovery process, it's a couple day-long recovery process where the swelling goes down and you can get back out there. Um, but the loss of Juwan Gary was absolutely huge for that Husker defense where as soon as he went out, you saw – the change in the defensive end from effort. Uh, I mean, guys being in the right places, they, they lost a leader on that defensive end. And it felt like Illinois' offense was able to run more how it wanted to when Juwan went out. And the Huskers really didn't, I think in their own mind, think that they stood a chance once Juwan Gary left the game because of how much of a loss it was on the defensive end. He's such a good rebounder. I mean, he is such a leader and such a good, uh, stable force on the, on the defensive glass. And Nebraska, what they give up? Uh, 17 offensive rebounds last night, mm-hmm. at least. You, you have the, the double whammy here of 16 uh, point, points off turnovers and another 13 to 16 in, in points, second chance points. You get blown out by 24. Nebraska crept back in a couple of times, uh, specifically out of the gate in the second half, where they'd had, they had to cut down to five, and Illinois 
beautifully used a couple of timeouts to stop momentum, and then they responded with a 14-4 to and then that 17-1 that to run. Let's hear from Fred Hoiberg and uh, specifically the disappointment about last night, the loss, the opportunity to get one at home against a good basketball team. We obviously we're, we we got no flow going right now in the first half and tonight you know our movement I, we just didn't have any pop on that end we talked about their physicality and the two basics that we had to execute tonight to have a chance to win the game was taking care of the basketball and rebounding the ball and playing with physicality and I thought they clearly we're the better team in both those areas. And when you don't execute the basics of the game plan, you're going to have trouble winning. And 17 turnovers, like I said, is way too many against a team like that. They turn them into points, and, and they're so fast and athletic when they turn you over. And that was a big difference in the game. And then second-chance points, they had their way uh, with that as well. So you, you just have to have more focus on the basic part of our plan and go out and execute those things to give ourselves a chance. Can I say two things? I know we've ragged on Nebraska and what they didn't do, and it's deflating if you're a Nebraska basketball fan looking for them to turn the corner. Not writing them off, but they they take a step forward and then a couple of steps back. They're better than they've been, but it's still not good enough. They have time to make up for it, but it's it's going to get hairy here the next couple of games for them. I'll say this. I thought Tomanaga was really pretty good last night with his shot selection. I know he's your three-point uh, you know, specialist, but he was he's so good the last few games at cutting without the ball and then off the dribble. He's been a good finisher at the rim. You mentioned our, our favorite serial killer, Breidenbach. He... <laughs> He has really put a three, a really solid three games together where he's averaging about eight points. I know he went for double digits last night, but he's taken good shots. He's finished in traffic well. So I like what he's brought offensively. He just closes out too fast, too hard on defense, and it's always a blow-by. And I know that's just what, what you're dealing with. A guy I need to see more from, and he's an elder statesman, and he just hasn't had it this year from three-point land is Wiltshire. Yep, I was going to say this. I was going to say whenever you brought up the, the Tomonaga thing, I'm about ready to see Tomonaga in the starting lineup. I, well, I'm, I, that's where I'm going next. Do you tweak your lineup heading into Purdue and you tell you bring Wiltshire off off the bench? I mean, Wiltshire had some nice movement without the ball, got some layups that actually went down. He shot four or five, but he missed some layups in some key moments uh, down at the rim, guys, where it's that it's that possession where it's at nine or seven points, you make it. It's a five point ball game, and it's not all on Wiltshire. I just think he gets lost a lot defensively, and and I think he's just struggling within himself with the three because he's he's too good a shooter to struggle like he is. Well, you talk about him getting lost defensively. The problem with Tominaga is. His God-given height and weight he, is going to make him struggle yeah. in the Big Ten defensively. But I think with what he's bringing offensively right, right now, it's, it's a better option for you to just try to bring some scoring. Whenever you look last night, 50 total points scored. Are you kidding me? And I know it's the Big Ten, but you're this is a Fred Hoiberg team. No Fred Hoiberg coach team should only be scoring 50 points in a game. That's as simply as I'll put it. Last night felt like a regression mm. back to the past couple years of Nebraska basketball. It, it, it just some bad shots the final 10 minutes i mean just some settle yes. right you saw yes. a lot of settling the last eight minutes with offensive possessions but 
listen, Walker didn't have it going. Feel bad for him. Never, never again got into rhythm. And he was he was pissed, and he should have been because you, you breathe on a guy. There's a foul. You get bodied up. You, you almost lose a, a, an arm uh, going to the rim, and there's no whistle in the second half. If you're going to be terrible, be terrible all game. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it's 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 as simple as I mean, that. at least that's some sort of consistency, right? Yeah. And while Nebraska has been anything but consistent on the hardwood, uh, the Big Ten overall is doing their, their teams a disservice more times than not with some of the the asks of their officiating. And again, overcorrection. No blood, no foul with Penn State over the weekend. A first half where, oh, a legal screen. <laughs> Let's blow the whistle. Mike Babcock will join us next. We'll get into some Husker football at Tail Varsity Radio. Hey, it's Schmitty. Want to tell you about a fantastic opportunity to work for a rapidly growing company that also enjoys the benefits earned with having competitive, stable history of work over 20 years? FSC. The FSC Edge, it's a leading technology innovator serving governmental agencies. Expert services helping worldwide patent offices meet strict processing and publishing timelines while delivering exceptional quality. They support some of the world's largest patent offices throughout the U.S. and Europe. That includes the European Patent Office, the German Patent and Trademark Office, and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. The only group of companies worldwide to provide such support to all three of these agencies. Working at FSC, you have a chance to work with fun people with great attitudes and learn about patents. You're not on the phone, you're not customer-facing, it's casual dress, and the work environment. It's a new environment with over $2 million in improvements. You have access to generous benefits packages, company support for health and wellness, and you do impactful work on a national scale. Make a difference. Their team's constantly growing, and they're always looking for new people to join their mission. Check out what's available today at fscedge.com. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Thanks for hanging out. Hail Varsity Radio Midweek Edition. We're presented by Currency, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark, and we welcome in from his Husker Den. Or is it just your office, Mike? Did I misspeak here? Mike Babcock with us, historian, author, Hall of Famer with Hail Varsity. This is just my office. Ah, the Babbers office. Yeah, I, I, keep I, things in it. Yeah, it's got some some cool stuff. Uh, did you go to Nebraska, Illinois last night? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, we've got uh, Jacob is always there, and then I think uh, sometimes Aaron Sorensen is there. I, I don't want to take a place in the press box that somebody that uh, would be actually working would have to have. So you had the option of turning the channel, is what you're saying? <laughs> Yeah, I just, uh, I watch on TV. Nope, I stay with it. Well, the, I mean, the only thing you really missed from last night's game was that guy who stacks up all the chairs at halftime and somehow manages to balance on top of him. He was in attendance last night, and that was, that was, a, good, that was a good part of the game, if that, there's anything. That was good. He also had the putt for a Porsche going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was that ju- was just, ridiculous. Just a bit, <laughs> just a bit right. Uh, looked like me from a... About two feet away. But. Shout out to Alex. I actually know who, the, who was putting that one. So okay. shout, shout out to Alex. He, nice. uh, he gave it a good go. Mike, we'll get to football in a moment, but overall takeaway with where this Husker basketball team's at. Um, 
Well, I, you know, I, I was listening earlier this week and, and Elijah's got him going to the NIT. So, um, I may have to amend my statement. We've always got that. <laughs> Every other game, I guess. Um, you, you can make that uh, uh, statement. No, I, no, I, they had, uh, Illinois had 12 steals. You can't have that. That's not going to work. Um, and, and that was part of Nebraska's 17 turnovers. Mm-hmm. And the free throw shooting wasn't very good. They didn't shoot very many. And most of that was on uh, Sam. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I was – when Nebraska fought back and cut it to 10, I thought this is the this team that I expected to show up. And then everything just went again. Um, and, and you credit Illinois with that. Um, I acknowledge some of that with the officiating. You can see that on TV, certainly. Um, and uh, it just wasn't what I expected. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I want to credit Illinois because they're a good Illinois team. Uh, no question there. But, but I thought that uh, Nebraska was in a position where it would have maybe shown a little better than it, than it did. Not saying necessarily that the Huskers would, would win, but I thought Nebraska was in it was capable of doing better than what we saw. Mike Babcock's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Mike, aside from last night, I think last night was the, the biggest disappointment of the Husker season thus far. There's been some losses and there's been some ones that you haven't enjoyed watching, but a home performance like that against a team in Illinois, which, you know what, they haven't been Illinois of the past couple of years. They are still a good basketball team, but they aren't what they were at one to two years ago. They looked like on paper they were a, beat, uh, yeah, a beatable team at home, yet they come in and steamroll Nebraska. Last night was definitely the most disappointing result of the year in my eyes. But the season thus far as a whole, have you been happy with what you've seen from Fred Hoiberg and company? Uh, enough to say that, I don't want to say his job's safe as of right now because there's a lot of season left, but based on what he's shown so far this year, that he's going to earn himself the right to coach another year? Well, you know, I don't like to get into those discussions in the season about a coach. You know, there's a lot of factors go into that and you know certainly um i don't put what happened last night on fred waiver necessarily but uh you know the team is gritty we've talked about that before um they seem to be connected with each other as you watch the dynamic of that on the floor uh, i like that part of it um but it, it just it seems like they go through stretches where things just don't just don't click for whatever reason. I think it was at St. John's, you know, you had good first half and you thought, wow, this is a, this could be a, a win here. And then everything falls apart in the second half. Um, we see that. And can we get some consistency out of these guys? Um, and that, you know, I don't know what the answer to that is. Uh, obviously Walker gets in a little bit of foul trouble and you have to take him out. I think he's an important part of it. Um, he needs to play on a consistent basis. Um, you talked about uh, C.J. Wolcher. I, I thought there was a point earlier in the season where I thought, man, he can shoot the three. You know, he, it seemed like there were a couple games there where he did look like he was effective, but now he's to the point where you don't get that uh, you don't get that three point shot when he takes it. It's it, you know, you're thinking it's probably not going to go in. Um, you know, how do you correct that? And maybe. Uh, Tominaga is, is the answer. Give him an opportunity to start. But there are times when 
uh, Tominaga comes down and fires up a three-point shot from from NBA range or whatever. And when he's hitting them, it's pretty exciting. But when he's not hitting them, um, it's 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 not a good uh, indication of the uh, of the offense working the way that it should. Mike, so did the new coaching hires for football overshadow the performance of Nebraska basketball last night? I hope they did for you. What are your thoughts on those? Um, you know, the no, I think I think there was a, a lot of uh, what we've said before. I think people thought there was a shot that Nebraska could beat Illinois because it was at home. And, and you know, I think there was a lot of excitement there. What showed up. Um, I don't know about the coaching hires. Um, let, let's see what happens. You know, um, I can only read what, what is said about them, where they came from, you know, what their experience is and so forth. I'm disappointed that none of the full-time assistants are, uh, have any kind of Nebraska background. You know, I thought that was one thing that, that, uh, rule really did well when he went to Baylor. And in fact, McGuire's dad, um, he hired McGuire's dad out of a high school situation. And now McGuire's dad is the head coach at Texas Tech. That shows pretty good uh, insight on his part in terms of uh, developing a, a coach or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, let's see how this thing, let's see how this thing comes together. Uh, but again, I, I, I thought it would have been good if Nebraska, if somebody with Nebraska risk would have been involved in the, in the staff in some way. Mike, uh, we spent time on this yesterday and want to get your take with Georgia's national title team, Georgia's two-year run. And Bill Conley of ESPN has the 94-95 Nebraska run number two behind this current Georgia run. And he could probably be talked into keeping 94-95 Nebraska number one. But how do you look at this Georgia team? Is it too soon to talk all time? And if you were to give me a reason that Nebraska's 94-95 team trumps all, what what characteristic about those squads is enduring when we talk about all-time lists? Um, you know, one of the – okay, so it's too early – to say what where Georgia's back-to-back championships fit in the kind of context. I think there's always that sense of, you know, let's rush in and say, ah, oh, this is it, you know, because it, it's a temporary situation. Um, about Nebraska, 94, 95, and I, I'm not saying this means that Nebraska should be ahead of Georgia in any way, shape, or form, but um, it, it always impressed me that the offensive line, uh, the, the five guys in the interior of the offensive line in 1994, the only one that returned in 1995 was Graham. You know, what kind of depth did that show and what did that say about Nebraska and the emphasis on it has to start up front, the guys up front, because you had two outstanding offensive lines. Uh, Nebraska that opportunity. Let's, um, Mike. We're gonna. I think what we're gonna it's do. Difficult to say. Five Nebraska team. Mike, we're gonna give you a quick call on the phone, bud. We're we're losing you on the video part. It's too choppy. We're gonna 
give Mike a ring on the phone here and, and get him to finish that answer up. Appreciate Mike hanging on with us. Hail Varsity Radio. Uh, we're presented by Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark. We're going to check back in with Babbers. The Gremlins must have uh, migrated from Connor Clark's dungeon to, uh, to, to, to Babbers' office. So we're going to get Babbers on here uh, this last segment. Mike Schuhart is coming up here in about 25 minutes, uh, about 10 minutes rather. And then Evan Bland will join us. Babber's going to reset it real quick. We got about three minutes here, but you were touching on, and then we kind of lost translation. Uh, you were mentioning Aaron Graham and, and the Nebraska offensive line. We'll pick it up there, bud. Yeah, that's the thing, uh, 94-95, um, that really impressed me was that the only uh, of, of the five uh, offensive linemen, the interior there, the only one that returned in 95 from 94 was Aaron Graham. Um, which showed you the depth in that offensive line and the development of that offensive line and how Nebraska placed an emphasis on that so that you could have a whole different offensive line in 1995 uh, except for Aaron Graham and and, and be a, such a dominant team. I mean, that was a definitely a dominant team in 95. And uh, so, but as I said earlier, um, I just think it's too early to say, you know, where this uh, uh, Georgia team back-to-back national championships, where that fits in the whole scheme of things. Can you, can you, do you have any way of working through different generations? As in, would, would the 95 team get blown up by 2023 players? I mean, that's where I can't go transport yesterday or this pick whoever uh, a team georgia and and how they would fare against 95 athletes 1995 athletes well yeah but you have to you have to do things in context mm-hmm. i mean that, that's that's the thing we're talking about something that's uh, almost 30 years ago mm-hmm. and and how the how the development of athletes you know the size of the athletes and so forth I mean, look at the 94-95 compared to 70-71. Yeah, it's Nebraska true. National Championship. Offensive guard Dick Rupert on those two teams weighed 205 pounds. <laughs> I mean, it's a whole different kind of a, kind of a situation. 1970-71, uh, 1995, 94-95, 2021-2022, 2023. I mean, it, it, it's all... It's just such a different uh, context that you have to consider when you evaluate those teams. So it's hard to say one way or the other. Mike Babcock with us on Hale Varsity at MD Babs on Twitter. Babbers, thanks for making today work, bud. Appreciate you jumping on. Yeah, sorry about the uh, phone thing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Big thanks to Mike Babcock. Catch that interview on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Hale Varsity Radio, the full show, Hale Varsity YouTube channel, 
And uh, as always, can find the segments, the individualized segments, or the full show. We welcome in with Wilderness Ridge. Mike Schuhart, uh, golf is around the corner. And full swing is going to be unleashed mid-February on Netflix following the who's who of the PGA. Shuey, is Netflix bringing a camera crew to check you out, buddy? How are you? I haven't heard from him yet. I'm hoping they do. <laughs> You're still waiting. I love it. <laughs> wait for that call. <laughs> hey, just pick a, a one of those normal uh, 72 degree February days because we get about three of them. Take them out on the deck with uh, with you and and some of the crew at Wilderness and imagine uh, that it's like that year round. First, sell that, my friend, and then secondly. <laughs> Uh, just uh, absorb the beauty of wilderness. Uh, th- what do you think of this? What do you think of the PGA and Rory and uh, and JT and Kepka and Finau? I mean, the the the, the who's who uh, taking their talents to Netflix uh, in depth and reality. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, you can definitely see this is a uh, reaction to the Live Tour. I mean, the the tour had to do something. Uh, felt like it needed to do something to uh, keep their players engaged, to keep their people engaged. So, you know, Liv didn't all of a sudden start just spending all their money to, to take all these guys away from the tour. So I, I applaud the tour for at least coming up with something to kind of combat that a little bit. It's going to be fun. How um how do you think guys will handle uh, in in the real world if you're on a reality show? Uh, <laughs> things turn to drama pretty quickly, and you may not stay married. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So they'll have to watch their. They might have to adjust their lifestyle slightly. Let's put it that way. Now, Mike, what we see. You know, from from our point of view, we we see the rivalry between guys like you know Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau in, within recent years, and I think golf is still seen as this gentleman's sport where where that's the exception and not the rule. Do you think whenever we get this behind the scenes look at, at the PGA Tour from Netflix on this upcoming series that we're going to get a, a change of pace with with that sort of thing in terms of rivalries, not only between golfers and the PGA Tour, between PGA and Live, and kind of take away that that mantra that golf is a gentleman's sport. No question. I mean, it's just society. It's changed. I mean, golf grew up that way. I mean, golf was definitely a blue blood sport. You know, it was at Augusta's and places like that. You know, a very affluent sport that not everybody could afford, and you had to have means to be able to do it. And it was a gentleman's sport. That's that's his gentleman played it. But it's changed. I mean, golf has changed. You look at uh, Ricky Fowler, John Daly started it, and Ricky Fowler comes along dressing like he did, and it's like they they had to they have to change with what the environment is, you know, to stay relative. It's not a blue blood sport anymore. It's a sport for everybody. Everybody's different. Everybody likes different things, and you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't. I think it's a good thing. I mean, to keep the sport viable and and attractive, you know, it's like. To me, I look at it like the X Games now, mm-hmm. a little bit more. Look at uh, the tournament in Arizona, the waste management, and what happens there on the par three, the 16th hole. Beer shower. I mean, that's yeah, man. That's kind of that's the in thing to do now, man. You go back 
to Bobby Jones and Ben Hogan, if that would have ever happened, oh, man, anarchy would have taken place. So let me ask you this. Mike Schuart with us, Wilderness Ridge Golf, Hale Varsity Radio. Are there more Happy Gilmores or more Shooter McGavins out there in the golf That's world? That's a good question. Uh, probably Shooter McGavins. Okay. Guys that are old guard and I don't want to say stuffy, but more reserved. Yeah. You know, but that's, again, that's changing. You look at just in the last couple of years, the youth movement that's taken place and the youth movement that has taken place winning golf tournaments, that's a huge change all in itself. You know, golf was always viewed as you needed experience being out there to be able to be competitive and win those big-time tournaments, any tournament, but especially a major tournament. But you look at the age of the kids, kids, I'm going to call them kids because I'm an old man, is that, that are winning these tournaments, man. These kids are really, they're trained, they're incredibly talented at what they do, and they're more ready now to be able to do that than ever before, and it's proven. I mean, you, you have a young generation of golfers that are coming up that are very competitive at an early age and can win majors easily. Mike Schuhart with us here on Hale Varsity Radio talking some golf, the upcoming Netflix series, which is going to take a, uh, a dive behind the scenes at the golf world. And Mike, do you think that it's important for this Netflix series and for the PGA as a whole to try to bring in the younger viewer, the guys like Connor and myself, that, you know what, maybe golf has not been what we grew up watching, but they're going to try to, to draw us in with this series. That's what happened with Drive to Survive, the Netflix series on Formula One. The, the young viewership of, of Formula One skyrocketed after that series. Do you think that's, that's needed for the game of golf to survive moving forward? No question. I mean, you always have got to work on developing your next generation of golfers, uh, viewers, um, and I really am uh, intrigued by it because I think it'll give the average or just your normal golfer a better uh, perspective on really what it is to be a tour player. I, I think people are very misled, you know, is that what really goes on to become and have to do your job at that level. I mean, they just think they jump on a plane, they go over there and they play. It's like, no, man, there's a ton of work that goes into it, a ton of uh, sacrifice and commitment. You know, it's, I think it'll give people a lot different perspective on really what it takes uh, to be able to play at that level and what they have to go through and what they do go through. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of nice things to it, but it's, it's, that's not the only thing. Mike Shuart's with us, Hale Varsity Radio, Wilderness Ridge Golf. Shuey, about a minute here before we got to say goodbye. Uh, wanted to get your quick take here on, on Husker Hoops. I know you're an avid Nebraska fan. You love football. You love hoops. Uh, did you have things going sideways last night, or are you uh, bummed out? Were you expecting a win? Oh, I think at least I'd like, I like watching it because I, I think they have a much better chance than they've ever had. You know, when they get onto the court, they have a lot of limitations. When those limitations kind of show up, they're always going to have a hard time winning. They can't, they don't score the the, the bucket very well, you know. And then when, you know, your guy inside, who's probably your best player, has to sit on the bench most of the first half, you're always, you're always at a deficit. So, no, I still like watching them. I love watching them. You know, they play with such intensity that you haven't seen. So it's fun to watch. Shuey, what's happening here? 30 seconds at Wilderness. 
Yeah, just we're, we're talking about maybe opening the golf course here this weekend in this nice oh. weather. So some some of our members might get a few uh, bonus rounds in this winter. So that's always exciting. Man, that'll be good. I got to find my way over to the deck and make sure your <laughs> your whiskey still tastes great. I'm sure it does. Mike, I'm sure uh, it does too. <laughs> Mike Shuhart with us, Wilderness Ridge Golf. Shuey, we appreciate you, bud. We'll follow uh, full swing once this drops. Can't wait to keep talking with you about it. Thanks for the time today. You bet. Thanks for having me. Everybody stay safe. We'll wind down hour one next on Hale Varsity. Pardon the interruption, but I'd like to save you some money. I'm Brandon Vogel, Managing Editor of Hale Varsity, and I wanted to offer listeners of this podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we produce, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Good stuff from Mike Shuhart, Mike Babcock, Evan Bland, 15 minutes away. Uh, the chef chiming in on uh, StreamYard via the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Chef, we uh, checked it out during the break, and it seemed a little bit better when it comes to audio and video quality. Hopefully, it's better. Yeah, the, the, so there seems three, to be a, a problem with the fact that we're running this stream on a computer that I think was constructed in roughly 2006. Yeah, and... So, so we're, we're, we're troubleshooting issues. We, we understand that there have been some crackles and skips with the audio, but I will say, if video is your thing and you want to watch the video, uh, we, or I should say I, go in and uh, make sure that we have the, the processed and final audio linked up with our uh, video that gets posted up on YouTube every single night, roughly 8 o'clock every single night. Or It's not a kung fu throwback movie with video and us mouthing being off. <laughs> the, the, the dub? Yeah, no, the dub. No. I, 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 I time that up so it's perfect. So uh, you can get the, uh, the perfect, beautiful audio shortly following the show every single night, or uh, you can stream the audio only coming through our radio feed, ESPNLincoln.com. Tune in really wherever you like to listen to your radio, you can do it. Or you can ask Alexa or your smart streaming speaker, I should say, uh, to uh, play ESPN Lincoln between the hours of 4 and 6. Play Hale Varsity Radio. Yep, our friends at 590 and different streaming as well. Now, um, there is a day. Elijah comes into the studio every day with a sledgehammer. He has his book bag, and he, he carries that sledgehammer under his left arm, and he is hoping to go office space on that 2006 computer at some point. Someday, poof, Santa will bring you a new computer <laughs> for the studio, and uh, all will be well. You'll be able to go out into the parking lot and go office space on that 06 computer. That'd be awesome. I mean, we we like that'd be like awesome for social media. Just me going to town on this on the, thing. <laughs> There's gonna be a line too <laughs> of past producers <laughs> that are gonna fly in <laughs> and get in line. Connor's like, "Yep, I'm going." Danny Burke will come back from Chicago. I, I want a front row seat to that. That'd be amazing. No, you're gonna. Everyone gets a swing, and then you're just gonna pass the 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 sledgehammer back to. <laughs> Uh, a producer, uh, Schulze from way back in 2010, uh, will get the honorary first swing, but you'll get to finish it. With that being said, though, this computer right here, she's a trooper. I mean, 
Oh, you gotta all be the, nice the stuff to it now so it keeps through. working uh, for hour two. You give it a little pat on the head, a little kiss. And uh, it, sometimes the computer just needs a little bit of emotional encouragement uh, to keep on rolling through this because <laughs> she's been a trooper for years computer. now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you two can uh, play nice. I'm going to do the tough love. Well, I <laughs> I'm mean, two seconds away from being unplugged. Well, have you ever gone and actually built a computer? No. I mean, it's a, it's a good time. It's, it's like Legos, really. You get your motherboard and you snap in all the components. And I'd like to see, like how old some of these components are within this oh dude you want to we're way off topic here but we have everyone's got an it guy right that you work with or you maybe friends with never tick off the it guy or gal uh but our old boy eric in the basement has i mean it looks like uh if you're a star wars fan return of the jedi when uh r2 and and cp3o get taken back to jabba where they get you know branded and, and fit with a uh, a bolt it's a junk shop okay that's what our old boy eric has in the basement of computers that are still on those last legs <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like the old lineman that doesn't want to retire uh parts everywhere so yeah i might just rip junior's high-tech computer and bring it in for you do it do it what happened you're grounded <laughs> hour two coming up evan bland with us with Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back into it, hour two, it's Hale Varsity, presented by Currency. For all your equipment financing needs, go Currency. We say hi to Evan Bland. Follow him on Twitter at Evan Bland, O-W-H. Recently named the Co-Sports Writer of the Year. Evan, congrats on that, man. Hey, yeah, thanks, Chris. Appreciate that. It's uh, it's it's honestly, it's humbling because like, and I know, you know, it's like, it's, it's expected, I guess, to say that, but like the, the guys at the World Herald with Sam and Dirk and Tom and of course Stu Pospisil who who also was named, like it's it's really cool to be I'm I'm still like the young guy in that group. So it's uh it's really cool to, to sort of help carry the flag with that. But no, I appreciate that. It's uh, it was a fun year, a lot of fun. Well, Nebraska keeps making this uh, new year uh, interesting with uh, more official announcements, specifically hires and uh you got the the rundown today with uh garrett mcguire uh, rob devorchak and and bob uh, wager as a tight ends coach and, and also nebraska bringing in gordon thomas for an operations standpoint and uh the, the common theme is you played for or already coached with coach rule he's uh, continuing to go w- with his guys and uh, that same page mentality uh, is showing through. 
Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, those are names that we've kind of been aware of for a while, but it's it's notable because Nebraska makes it official today. And, and so this is the staff. This is the group that Matt Rule's going to roll with in year one, and they have a strength coach and the – uh, you know, the, the sort of the behind-the-scenes staffers continue to come together, but you would think this is, you know, for the most part, who, who they're going to go with. And, and like you mentioned, uh, I think one of the, the, the clear common threads would be the connections to Rule, whether he used to coach um, many of these guys, whether he um, had a, a pre-existing relationship with them, whatever it might be. And then, you know, youth is, is unquestionably the other element of this thing where uh, everyone talks about Garrett McGuire, who I think turns 24 in a few weeks. Um, Dvorak's still in his 20s. Um, two of the assistants we're going to hear from tomorrow, E.J. Barthel and Evan Cooper, are both in their, I believe, early to mid-30s still. So uh, it's a group that, you know, is going to be hungry. It's a group that... Um, is going to be really, I think, loyal to, to Matt Rule for giving them this opportunity. Uh, we don't know what the, the salary numbers on this thing are. I think that's an, another interesting piece, um, you know, where, where Nebraska had made available a $7 million pool for assistance. And when you go younger, do you, do you utilize that fully, or, or what does that look like? I think that sort of remains to be seen. But, you know, you talk about the advantages of – youth um one of them clearly is you can grind more right like the older you get if you have families other interests things like that um it's just it takes some of that time and i think the more that we learn about this staff the more we learn that man, these guys live and breathe football um you know i think we're going to learn about that more tomorrow i know evan cooper for example is like a lifelong uh nfl draft like guru expert like he lives and breathes this stuff and there are a lot of examples of that. So um, we'll see how that sort of translates onto the recruiting trail, how that translates into what Nebraska does on the field. But um, it clearly one thing about this staff that it appears you, you can't say is that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're taking things easy um, or, or not turning over every leaf, every stone to try to find the guys that they need. Evan Bland is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Evan, when you mentioned the, the youth and the $7 million pool, are you expecting Matt Rule to bring in a, a group of elder statesmen, analysts, if you will, for this football team, guys that can come in and, you know, be, be a, a watchful eye for some of these young assistants? Or do you actually think that the $7 million has been fully utilized by these assistants? I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's going to be really interesting if you, you know, if you, if you fill out that pool with this staff, I think there's some questions there. Because, like, for example, Garrett McGuire may very well uh, be a, a – future head coach somewhere in the next 10 years it's possible right like you, you see it uh but the fact remains that if they wanted him on staff right now uh they, they could have made him you would think an analyst uh who's making you know whatever two hundred thousand dollars just throwing a number out there uh but if you're a, a power five position coach and you're a receivers coach like you would think the low end of that would be three hundred thousand maybe four hundred thousand uh depending on how that goes so it will be interesting to see if they if they utilize the full extent of the pool on on that staff or if they can reallocate some of those things um some of those things elsewhere but you know again like to me the the big takeaway is that Matt Rule has uh, he's very convicted about his vision and he's convicted about the kind of guys that he wants to be uh, working with him and i think he he made a good point on a on a national nfl podcast when he got fired from carolina saying one of the things that he regretted there was 
hiring assistant coaches for their experience, but who maybe weren't on the same page with him uh, with some other things, just in terms of, of culture and, and how you approach things and, and teach things. And so you can tell he's really leaned hard the other way, where you don't see uh, really any of these mercenary-type coaches coming in. You don't see any of these guys who, uh, as he would have said, are, are sort of celebrity coaches. These are all guys who are Matt Rule guys, who, who buy into that culture, who um, – you know, maybe in a lot of ways owe much of their careers to what he's given them and and his success. And he's banking on the fact that the, sort of the, the momentum of everybody saying the same thing, pushing the same direction, uh, can translate in, in a way that maybe is different from, you know, again, a number, uh, maybe more experienced coaches saying different things uh, at different points to the team. So we'll see how it pays off. Um, but, again, I think if there's one thing we've learned about Matt Rule in recruiting and now with assembling a staff, it's that he has a vision uh, and, and he's going to execute it, um, even if maybe it doesn't look the most traditional to what you would think. I like the different recruiting ties each of his assistants will bring. I like the youth. They're not going to be outworked. Now it comes down to evaluation, right? Evan, how would you have handled making four hundred grand as a 24-year-old? That would have been a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, it probably wouldn't have worked great. Uh, I'm trying to think. You know, at 24, I I, I wouldn't have been living in uh, in a one bedroom apartment the way that I was. You know, I would have. Same. <laughs> it, it sounds boring. I, I would have started racking up, you know, uh, equity when and when a mortgage and things like that. But uh, I can tell you, I'd have a lot of friends who would who would take note of my salary and would be a little more friendly. Yeah. Evan, uh, note to self: Evan would have bought rental homes. <laughs> Evan would have put the money out on the street. I like it. Been smarter with his money, smarter than me at least. Oh. I'd be out there buying PlayStation 5s and whatnot and selling them to my friends for the cheap. Let's get another big screen. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, Billy Kemp. Well, let's spend a minute on Billy Kemp, the Virginia transfer. Uh, looks like a slot uh, guy slash kick return option. What's your take uh, with his addition to the receiver room? Yeah, I think that it was, you know, it was sneaky important. I mean, you look at that group and what Nebraska had coming back initially, Marcus Washington, who had shown some flashes, uh, Alante Brown, but really beyond that, I mean, there just wasn't a lot of, of proven production in that room. And so they went out and added Joshua Fleeks, who is a rule guy and who saw that, that rebuild take place firsthand at, at Baylor. But I think, you know, Billy Kemp is the guy now that you point to who said, you know, this guy's done it at a power five school at Virginia, um, nearly 200 career catches. And I think the way, you know, that he's he's made his his bones, so to speak, uh, are, are is is something that Nebraska needs, right? Like in the last few cycles, in the portal, Nebraska's found guys like Samori Toure or Trey Palmer, and those have have largely been deep threats or, or burners in different ways. You know, Kemp is a little bit more sort of sneaky in in where he can kind of find his his catches and in, in, in his yards. I mean, he, he's a guy who's going to sit in a in a pocket and zone coverage and, and find something. He's a guy who's going to maybe sneak around a linebacker for a you know six yard gain on on third and five, something like that. So I think that veteran status is something this room needed. And then you you know you you look at the rest of that position group with guys like Malachi Coleman and and Jaden Doss and a number of these other freshmen who are coming in. You really needed somebody who has been there, done that, and can really help lead um, that group. And then again, you know, we mentioned Garrett McGuire. He's, he could use somebody in that room who's been there and who can help from a peer leadership standpoint uh, move things forward. And I think Kemp, uh, by all accounts, 
is one of those more uh, you know more mature guys. Again, he's he's been there and done that on the field. He's uh, sort of got that pro mindset where he knows this is his last chance if he if he wants to you know have a career in the NFL after this. And so I think he'll be plenty motivated to come in and do what he needs to do to to help Nebraska be productive in that respect. Evan, whenever I look at at Kemp. Maybe I've just been burned over the past couple years, but I look at Kemp as a nice piece, but I don't think it matters all that much if you can't keep your quarterback protected and establish a run game. And therefore, I'll wait to get excited about an addition like Kemp until Nebraska makes some additions in the offensive line or, or shows that the offensive line can be better next year. Is that fair? Have I just been burned over the past couple years? Oh, it's totally fair. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it, it was interesting when Matt Rule and then Marcus Satterfield both said they don't expect the O-line to be a weakness next year. They they are very motivated to turn that thing around. And, you know, you look at the moves they've already made. Uh, you know, Ben Scott, you feel pretty good about him being the center, that the Arizona State transfer. You feel, um, you know, pretty good about Nuri Noelle coming back uh, as an interior lineman somewhere. Um, you know, they, they missed out on Micah Mazuka, the, the left guard from Baylor, um, but they're still in the, in the mix with Walter Rouse from, from Stanford, too. He would be a major um, – you know, mainstay at that left tackle spot. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's a position group where there, there are still enough names and there are still enough bodies in that room that you can sort of map a path to where they can be good. Like Turner Corcoran uh, could take a step forward in his next year. Ethan Piper has been in the system for a number of years. I mean, kind of go down the line with some of the other guys. Um, and, and I also thought it was notable just – the, the backing that Donovan Royal has gotten from both Matt Rule and Satterfield again, where, uh, you know, they feel strongly that this is a guy who can, you know, coach these guys up and develop these guys in the way that this staff has been known to do elsewhere. And so, you know, again, I, I don't know that you can say next year that you're going to feel totally confident about that O-line. You know, guys like Ben Scott, potentially Walter Rouse uh, are sort of short-term fixes so, you know, it remains to be seen over the course of the next three or four years how you can identify and develop some of these players. But, again, like, I think there's power in a vision in, in, and having conviction in that vision. And I think certainly uh, with the hire that they made and with the players um, that they have in the room, um, you know, there's no doubt they're going to pursue down the path that they felt like worked elsewhere before. Evan, I want to go back to, to Wager and uh, his role as tight ends coach. And we were talking 200 wins as a high school coach in Texas, Arlington uh, Martin High School. And just what type of game changer can he be? What, what type of work and results can you expect in Texas from Nebraska moving forward? Well, he's sort of Joey McGuire 2.0, right? Like you think back to what Rule did at Baylor, um, and that it, the hire of, of Joey McGuire, who had a similar profile, was a really successful high school coach in the state of Texas. Um, and helped win over, uh, you know, the, the state and, and a lot of high schools at that time. Um, you know, maybe this is a, a, a sort of another example of that where. Um, you know, he, he had a lot of success at um, Arlington Martin High School, where he's been, I think, the last 17 years. And you've already seen, even just today, uh, they've started to leverage those connections a little bit, where there's a guy, a 2023 tight end receiver, Ismail uh, Smith-Flores, who has offers to Iowa, Michigan State, uh, gets an offer today from his former head coach, who's now the tight ends coach in Nebraska. So these are guys who, um, you know, probably weren't considering Nebraska 
three months ago. Um, but when you have these kind of the kind of guy who had the presence uh, the Wagger did down in the in the Fort Worth area, I mean, it does it goes a long way? It's not just his high school. It's um, it's that connection of, of high school coaches, and um, so it's it's I think it's it's the sort of thing that we've seen work before under rule. And, and by the way, Joey McGuire is now the head coach at Texas Tech, and I think that worked out pretty well uh, the first time around. And so you bring uh, him to Nebraska, you see what you can do. I, I think it's a smart move if you're going to continue to pound the state of Texas for talent the way that they're looking to do. Evan, last thought here, about 60 seconds. When you look at Wager, I mean, he walks into a room that's got some talent. I look specifically at Thomas Fedoni. You might know where I'm going with this whenever I talk about the national championship game on Monday. He's a guy who was ranked higher in the recruiting rankings than Brock Bowers from Georgia. I know yeah. recruiting rankings are a little bit of a, a crapshoot at times, but whenever you're the number one tight end in the country, you expect some results. He's been hampered by knee injuries. Do you think Wager's walking into a room where you know he can get the best of Thomas Fedoni, or do you think those knee injuries might hamper Fedoni's career moving forward? Well, man, you, you hope. You hope he's he's good to go. Uh, I know they the staff last year was really conservative with Fedoni. I mean, there was there was some talk that he could have come back late last year. They decided to shut him down and and let him continue to recover. And and you know, I, I, obviously that feels like the, the right decision now, moving forward. Um, but you know, it's it, I think medical science has come a long way in the last. 15 years, like like 15 years ago, a guy who's had multiple ACLs, you know, he, he worried that he'd ever get back to kind of what he was. And some of the videos that Fedoni's put out, just different workout videos, would sort of, I think, give you some optimism that he could get to that point. And, and you know, the tight end position is interesting in general, too, because you do lose Travis Volkolek, who is your guy, but you still have you know, a number of younger um, scholarship guys and, and even a, a promising walk-on guy like Ian Borkature, I'm sorry, Nate Borkature, uh, who, who had some production for him last year. James Carney, uh, you know, who was a promising high school recruit out of Norris is still there. A.J. Rollins sort of had emerged as that number maybe three guy late last year. So, you know, it, that I would say was a position that was well-managed and developed by Sean Becton previously. So, the, you know, I think the bar is fairly high there, but, and the room is, is pretty well-stocked, um, you know, for Wagger to come in there and um, maybe have some success early on. Evan, we will get caught up again next week. Always appreciate your time, and uh, be sure to give Evan a follow on Twitter at Evan Bland, O-W-H. Evan, we'll see you at the presser tomorrow. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. Like what you hear, high-quality radio and podcast is part of what we do at Hale Varsity. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we do, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's hailvarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. Chime in 402-466-ESPN or email the show chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me. Try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Good stuff from Evan Bland, and we'll have a chance to uh, get caught up with two of the assistants tomorrow. Press conference at 1. We'll be down there for that. We'll have some thoughts from uh, Barthel, uh, Nebraska's running backs coach, for sure. Get his take on things. A uh, chance to meet him 
that'll be all right. And, of course, Cooper, the secondary coach, so they're looking forward to that tomorrow. Open phones here till about uh, 540, 466-377-6800, 825-5865. Playoffs get underway this weekend in the NFL. Uh, some of us are not looking forward to the opening round matchup. Some of us don't have an opening round matchup. Uh, Elijah and Connor, both your teams are watching. Uh, the Dolphins are going to be a mess. I'm a closet Dolphins fan, have been with the Marino-era Dolphins. Uh, Tua's not playing, and it's going to be uh, just uh, all Buffalo <laughs> this weekend. So there's that. But two questions. Do you think the the path for the Eagles is sneaky difficult or are you expecting philly all the way they clearly looked great in in the regular season i know jalen is coming back from injury but with their weapons on the outside and what they have in the run game on top of uh, a loaded defense i mean their backups are joseph lenville and sue on the defensive line so philly is loaded and i think it should be a no-brainer. Easier said than done. The Chiefs uh, have lost to Cincy. They've lost to Buffalo in the regular season. Uh, you'll have a neutral field site. I mean, Kansas City can turn it on, but I'm probably hedging Buffalo to get to the Super Bowl, so buffalo Phillies my early take. Minnesota's lived the charmed life, not throwing shade at them. I'm not buying Dallas. Tampa's probably one and done. Uh, and then from a from a draft standpoint, Chicago has the number one pick. And and I'm anxious to get your guys' take on what you do with that number one pick. Different ownership group, different front office. And Justin Fields has been, frankly, better than advertised with how he's gutted out some offense. He's had to use his legs. He's had to use his frame. I'm not saying he's a guy that can't throw the football. He doesn't have a lot to work with offensively. Uh, Jacksonville is a team that, listen, they were able to load up and get help around Trevor Lawrence because he's on his rookie deal. Do you trade fields, acquire four or five picks, and go get Bryce Young because you think he's better long-term than Justin Fields? I would entertain that because I think think Bryce is super talented, and I think in the right situation – Fields could be a, a Pro Bowl guy, too. I just don't know that Chicago is going to be a good spot for him right now with the current state of the team. I'll defer Bears talk to Connor. It's the second time I deferred to him. I will say my early inclination for the Bears would be to trade back, get out of that first spot, get yourself some trade. I mean, there's a lot more than one player that's going to be able to fix this Bears uh, program. They need some think, offensive think linemen. All the, all the picks you can get with that first pick overall and get, get a quarterback that may be better. I mean, I, I more look along the offensive line, but we'll get there in just a second. I want to get back to your, your point about the NFL playoffs, though, and the Eagles. We'll, we'll get to the Bears in just a second. As much as I don't want to talk about the Bears, I know Connor is here, and I know there's a lot of Bears fans around, so I'll, I'll, I'll give my I'm take. holding back a lot of a lot of thoughts right now. I, I, live, I live with a Packers fan, so I kind of have to be anti-Bears just a little bit, so sorry about that. Oh, uh, what I will say, though, geez. is, Schmitty, I think you're, you're completely overselling, or sorry, underselling what the, the path of the Eagles to get to the Super Bowl. I think the Eagles have a much tougher path than the Kansas City Chiefs. The only real team I see standing in the way of the Chiefs making it back to the Super Bowl is the Buffalo Bills. 
personally, that's the number one team I look at and I go, yeah, they, they can give Kansas City a run for their money. But over on the NFC side, I think the 49ers under Purdy, they're playing their best football of the season at the right time late in the year. I think the 49ers are a formidable threat to the Eagles who've been stumbling. And I know they've been uh, without Jalen Hurts, and he looks good in Week 18 and uh, his snaps that he did get in the game. Philly's going to have home field, but Philly just doesn't. I should say we're off air here. Um, well, we're still online. Okay, that's great. No, I think fair point on San Fran. They they run the football. They've got big Georgia tight end. They've got McCaffrey. They've got a run game. They've got a killer defense. And no, I, I that that's a, a really good point. Philly, though, I think is just a different animal, Connor, at home than. And, but listen, the 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 Forty Niners have gone to the Super Bowl two of the last three years, and they've done it going on the road. So if San Fran ends up in the Super Bowl, that's not a shock. I just I I hedge Philly over San Fran because of the home field and. Because as good as pretty is played, and you're right, and you're right about how hot San Fran is right now, I still lean Philly because of that experience and the home field. Pretty when it comes down to quarterback play, don't screw it up. And Pretty's been a little bit more than a manager. I think a guy uh, like uh, like Hertz can do enough, make enough plays to find a way past the San Francisco defense, assuming that's what it ends up with in the NFC title game. And yet there's still other threats in the NFC. The Vikings, I think, I mean, they they're, they scare me with how they've won games this year, but they, they, they win. They scare their fans, too. They win. Simply put, they go win football games. Doesn't matter what the scoreboard is, they end up being on top at the end of the game. I think that's dangerous in the playoffs, especially when you look at their, uh, their rushing attack with Dalvin Cook and you have Justin Jefferson. I know I'm not sold on Kirk Cousins being a guy who can go take his team and win a Super Bowl, but that Vikings team is very solid. And the Cowboys, I think you undersold them in that they always find a way to blow it, but... And now it's the playoffs. The, the question to me is, can they, in the postseason, find that perfect mix between Tony Pollard and Ezekiel and trust their rushing attack? If they can do that, mm. trust the rushing attack and, and get things going on the ground, I think that Dallas team could be something to... to to be scared of considering their defense. They have a guy, multiple guys actually, Demarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons that can get after the passer, mm-hmm. which really helps if you can go jump out to a 10-0 lead in the first quarter on the on the, the backs of your running backs. And then you got some uh, some pick six type guys in the secondary. That Dallas team pick six guy behind center too. That's a very, very fair point. Like if this Dallas team's playing from behind, I probably don't like it. But if they can go get a first quarter lead on some teams, I think they're they're tough to, to deal if, with. If I think the NFC just the whole way through is more wide open than the AFC. I'm not sold that the Eagles are the best team in the NFC. I'm leaning there. Are we going to jump in the truckster and head across the river? I mean, who, who, are we, who are we betting on here? I mean, are you betting Chief San Fran again? Is that where you're going right now? It's tough with Purdy. It's, it's his first postseason. You wonder what can happen yeah. there. I, I look at the Bills. Personally, being, you know, that they're, they're riding, I don't want to say riding the high, but they have they some momentum, momentum, especially with it feels like the whole NFL world behind them mm-hmm. with what happened with DeMar Hamlin. And yeah. they, you have the own energy in the locker room from seeing that miraculous you got, recovery. You've got a, a, a brother you're playing for. Mm-hmm. With the Bills. So I look at the Bills and the AFC. And then out of the NFC, it's probably the Eagles. But if you told me that one of the Cowboys, 49ers, or Vikings made it in over the Eagles, I wouldn't be surprised. Where if you told me, 
yeah, the, the Jaguars actually made the Super Bowl, or the Chargers, or insert any AFC team not named the Bills, they made the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. including the Bengals, I would be shocked. And but there's you're four cool, teams you're from cool, the AFC. You're cooled on KC right now? I'm not cooled on KC. Uh, I think that they are shooing for the AFC championship game, but I think that that Bills team, especially with how things ended last year, if it's mm-hmm. Bills, Chiefs, and the AFC championship game, potentially, that, that wouldn't be on a neutral field, actually. Never mind. The Chiefs did win the one seed uh, straight up, so... I still look at that and I still worry about what the Bills can do. With what that roster is, it would be a major disappointment for them to never make it to a Super Bowl, especially with some of their guys, you know, going to be needing second contracts here soon. That Bills team, I, I really like out of the AFC. And I, I think the Chiefs should be the betting favorite, but that Bills team I look at, especially with Josh Allen behind center, the only thing they lack is a consistent rushing attack. But whenever you get Josh Allen in the postseason, if he's all in, if, yeah, that, he if, that, if, that, if that Bills team is all in, you look at that and I go, that, that team is very hard to beat. No, they're, they're really good. I mean, I, I think Buffalo finds a way. We'll talk to our favorite Bills. Searles coming up. Connor, jump in. Uh, right now, give me your take uh, with your GM slash ownership hat on with the Bears, and then are you uh, buying or selling Philly? Are you buying or selling Kansas City? Well, I think the Bears trade back that first pick. Fields is, and if you're a guy who watches the Bears very consistently or is a part of the fan base, Fields is arguably already the most electrifying quarterback the Chicago Bears have ever had. And that's not an exaggeration. Even even more than Jimmy Mack? Yes, even more. And Smoking Jay Cutler? The fact that he's the reason... <laughs> Jay Cutler's statistically still the best, but he's the reason why people kept coming back to watch the Bears every single week, even though that they are the worst team in the National Football League. I think they trade back. They have a lot of picks already. They can make that more. They could trade with a team that absolutely needs a quarterback. Um Thank you, Lovey Smith. You did one more good deed for the Bears or the Texans. That was awesome. Thank you, Texans, for winning. Um, but, yeah, I think the Bears trade back. Um, they have a lot of cap space as well. So this offseason is one of the biggest offseasons, really, in franchise history for the Bears because they have a really good window here to try and go a very different direction that they have been going. And they could be a really fun team to watch here in the next couple of years. As far as – the playoff bracket, I'm leaning towards the Bills as well. I think the Bills, again, with you know the, the entire league kind of behind them now, and honestly, I was thinking them before the whole Hamlin situation happened too. Their roster, as Elijah mentioned, is just too good not to make a Super Bowl at one point or another. And I get it, KC is still quietly, it feels like, 14-3, and three, but if they get a rematch, you know that they are going to be throwing – everything at Kansas City to try and avenge that loss from a year ago. Out of the NFC, it depends on Brock Purdy's play, obviously, for me with the Niners. Will the experience, lack thereof of experience in the playoffs hurt him if he continues to play like he has been? I feel pretty good about the 49ers. Now, the Eagles with Jalen Hurts back, they're looking pretty good. Um, and a game that really intrigues me out of the first round is the rematch between the Giants and the Vikings. Mm-hmm. That first game in the regular season was fantastic. And I think we're we're set for another really, really good game. And I also wouldn't mind seeing another Eagles Cowboys game as well. That could be really, really good. That'd be now, a lot of fun. One thing to watch, you mentioned the Bills and Chiefs, that battle. One thing to watch is the Von Miller injury that we had this year. Tore up the knee. Tore up the knee again. 
Bills are going to need a pass rush if they're going to try to stop who should the guy who should be the MVP in Mahomes. Will he? I don't know. I can say as a Broncos fan, Mahomes should be the MVP with all the records that he was on the cusp of breaking this season. He had a phenomenal year. Can the Bills get after the passer in a, a potential AFC championship game between Buffalo and the Chiefs? We'll see on that one. But I don't know. Last thought really quickly, Connor. Russell Wilson for the number one overall pick. Who says no? Uh, I do. <laughs> wow. Look at you. Just trying to hose your partner here. <laughs> hey, got a deal for it's you. Ridiculous. Uh, Dion chimes in any Husker news. We'll get you some news about a tight end before we say goodbye. And now. And now. Back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back with you, Tail Varsity Radio. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday, Nebraska Orthopedic Center. Dr. Brandon Seifert back with us. Dr. Brandon, how you doing? I'm great, guys. How y'all doing? We're good, and there seems to be a race uh, between NFL quarterbacks and Kevin Durant for most appearances on our, uh, our Wednesday Jock Docs, and I think old KD is back by a nose. The, the the bad and sad news is is it's a sprained MCL to his right knee. About a month or so is the uh, the expected uh, miss time. Doctor Brandon, this looks like your classic uh, just freak accident where he got rolled into uh, along the baseline. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. Um, you know, yeah, the poor guy, I think he's uh, going to take the trophy here for most number of times on the jock talk. Uh, but, yeah, it sounds like kind of that classic uh, MCL. <clears throat> you know, he's had one of these before. I think it was last year that he had one of these mm-hmm. injuries. And I think it took him maybe six to eight weeks or so to get back. But essentially at this point is we kind of go back and review anatomically what is an MCL. So MCL stands for medial collateral ligament. That would be that uh, inside leg. You kind of feel that very inside part of your knee. That's where the MCL is. And essentially that MCL is there to resist force of that knee being pushed to the inside. We call it a valgus force. So if you watch the video, you kind of get an idea about what direction that force is going. What happens is with these, you know, there's different grades, grade one through grade three. Basically, grade one, you have a little bit of a stretch injury, but when you feel this as a physician, you're going to feel that there's really not much in the way of looseness there. It's more just pain. It's got a good endpoint, as we describe, when you push on it, it stops firm. Um, as you move into a grade two, now you're talking maybe about 25 to 50% of those fibers have some tearing. That's the point when you start to feel a little bit more of that kind of instability, but you basically kind of reach an endpoint where it feels solid. And then you get to a grade three, and there's really not an endpoint there, and that's when you have your really high-grade tears. Uh, what's important about those grades, obviously, it kind of determines you know, whether or not you have to go a surgery route or not, which is pretty rare in an isolated MCL. Uh, but it does have a pretty good predictive factor in terms of when do you get them back. And so as you kind of listen to what they're saying about him, he's probably on that grade one kind of pathway, usually gets you back within two to three weeks. Uh, with the grade two, then it tends to be more like maybe four to six weeks. So he's probably in between one of those two would be my guess. Yeah, Dr. Brandon, last year he missed six weeks after uh, his MCL strain, and this is actually the third time he strained an MCL in his career. Back in 2017, uh, Zaza Pachulia fell into his knee and uh, strained an, uh, an MCL. Did it again last year uh, during January, and again this January one more time. So when you look at three MCL strains in a career, is he lucky that these aren't turning into tears, or is there something special at his MCL that keeps it from tearing completely? Yeah, like, that's a great question. You start to look at these, and I would say... 
in all the sports medicine stuff I've done, it's rare that you start to have kind of a chronic MCL strainer type. Um, obviously, he's playing just a ton of volume, and you, know, you look at his age and the level he's playing at, you're going to probably see that more. Um, and so in his scenario, you know, most of the time these do heal up well. They basically kind of scar back in. It's kind of like him in an ankle sprain. It typically scars back in. Um, you might have a little bit of laxity there. And you know, usually there's not a lot of long-term complications with these unless you start to move into some of those other injuries in the knee that can happen. So you think about the, the force that it takes to stretch an MCL in the awkward position that it pushes you into. Um, you start to worry about things on the outside of the knee as those two bones kind of crash together on the outside of the knee as that MCL gives way. Now you start talking or you start talking about maybe even injury to the cartilage. Then that kind of puts you in a different category in terms of taking longer to recover each time something like that happens. And so, yeah, for him, he's, he's pretty fortunate that he's not had any of those other things show up, cartilage, meniscus, with, you know, basically three three times in an this side. Does this limit his explosiveness? Is this just about pain tolerance, uh, his elevation? I mean, what are some residual effects of, of having these MCL issues when it comes to his game factored in with age? Yeah, um, you know, if he doesn't really have much in the way of residual, we call kind of laxity or looseness there. Um, if these have all been kind of grade one-ish type sprains and he's kind of t- tightened up afterwards, then really this won't impact him much long term. Um, but obviously if he starts to develop some kind of laxity there where, you know, he's at that grade two level and every time you kind of lean on this, he still has some of that laxity present, then that can make a difference just in terms of that cutting ability. Also what we tend to see with these is more, you know, your confidence and ability to cut and move can change because now you feel like there's a little bit of that kind of subtle instability that's there. And as a really high-level athlete, you're going to feel that. Dr. Brandon, you have Durant also uh, with the, the Achilles injury in the past. Is there any, I, I guess, link between your knees maybe not being as sturdy, and I know this was a this was a contact injury where they got fallen into, but just his lower body in general, uh, the miles he's put on, the level he's played at since he was 18. You look at the MCLs and, and the Achilles. Uh, are, are you amazed he's still in the MVP running like he is every year? Yeah, absolutely, Chris. That's a great point. You know, it really is amazing. You know, and he's probably one of those folks that just kind of has some generalized what we call laxity or looseness in his joints in general, which puts him more at risk for these things. Uh, but it really is amazing when you think about the number of times we've talked about him on the show um, and obviously the, the length of career he's had, that he's still doing what he's doing. It's pretty amazing. I'm sure that you know if you were to MRI his knees, I'm sure he probably has some, some pretty significant wear going on in his knees with all the trauma he's had. But really at this point he's tolerating it well. Um, and so the hard part is, yeah, predicting what's he look like in another, you know, three or four years. Dr. Brandon, whenever you talk about Kevin Durant making his jump in the league at age 18 and having to adjust quickly to the rigors of a, a long NBA season, can that affect an 18-year-old's body, the fact that they have to go up against grown men on a day-in, day-out basis joining the NBA at such a young age? Is that a factor here and why some of these guys, you know, have, I want to say, shortened careers? Because... Kevin Durant is not particularly old. He's on the older side of NBA, but, I mean, he's still in his 30s. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and so that's, that's the big thing. In fact, there was a really fascinating article put out, gosh, it's probably been a couple of years, that looked at, you know, there was a run there from maybe like 2017 to 2019 where their rookie classes were missing just tons of, you know, games that first year. They took a look at, you know, why was this, what was the deal with that? Um, and they looked at what had really changed in that kind of group of players was kind of this explosion of the AAU and all the travel ball stuff. And as they went back and started researching a lot of these players, so a lot of these athletes that were going into the league at you know high school or that first year of college, they had already played almost you know four, five, six NBA seasons, if you will, in terms of just the amount of basketball they'd already played prior to the NBA. And so the point of that is you take that and see that why these folks are having more injuries, shorter careers, it's because they're you know starting so young and playing these long seasons. And then you start to couple that with the fact that their body, at the time when they're doing this, you know, high-level volume as a young athlete, you couple that with the fact they're still growing, maturing. That's a lot of wear in your body, especially your growth plates, that can lead to some, you know, pretty significant long-term problems or complications, if you will. Dr. Brandon Seifert with us, Nebraska Orthopedic Center, a jock doc Wednesday in the uh, rundown on Kevin Durant, uh, sprained MCL, could be out uh, about a month or so. That is the word. Dr. Brandon, enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks for a few minutes today. All right, fellas. You guys take care. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One final time, show can be uh, listened to again with the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Hail Varsity Radio. Whole show or segments you like. Uh, download either way. Give us a review. Good, bad, ugly. We'll take the feedback. Totally appreciate it. You can watch the show. Hail Varsity YouTube channel. Catch us on different streaming platforms. That's Hail Varsity Radio. Twitter at HVarsity Radio. Follow us there. Catch Coffee and Cream with Damon and Andrew. 7 to 9 weekday mornings with Hail Varsity and uh, ESPN Lincoln. Facebook and Twitter. Those options for you. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Connor Clark promised some Nebraska football news. We started off this hour with some reaction from Evan Bland on the new official hires. And one of those hires, Coach Wager, tight ends coach, coming from Arlington, connecting with a uh, an Arlington player to tell you about tight end Ishmael Smith-Flores. He's a 2023 guy, so he could be added by this second signing period. Uh, Brett emails in, shows good, host is ugly. <laughs> I think it's a little off topic, Brett. <laughs> it is, but I just got the email alert. Oh, Chris at HaleVarsity.com. Schmidt is ugly. I thought we were going to get some nice football insight from Brett, but no. <laughs> no, no. Where's my line? Pass a Corona. That's the insight we get. Back to the tight end. Ismael Smith, uh, Smith Flores, 6'5", he's 220, and really hadn't played football before this year. Went out, loved it, and, and he's just a tremendous athlete. He's a guy that could be a flex tight end, right? Kind of a slot tight end. And you're seeing more and more of that. You have the Vocalex of the world that are your end line tight ends, your 
and you think your end line tight ends that are that are more Gronk like, but more and more guys flex and are a problem in the slot. He is at Rutgers this weekend visiting. He'll visit Nebraska the twentieth of January that weekend. But Iowa's been all over this guy. Whatever you think of Iowa, you got to give them props about their tight end selection, tight end development and tight ends that are playing on Sundays and in the playoffs. And if I, I if I saw correctly, I believe his dad also played at Iowa back I in the day. I think his dad was like an all-Big Ten defensive lineman. Mm, that sounds right. But right, it, like it, 91. It's interesting, though, that you, you mentioned the fact that you know he's a, he's a late adopter of football, <laughs> that he hasn't been playing a long time. And while there are warning signs there, I think something we, we talked about with Charlie McBride probably over a year ago at this point was that he liked guys like that. He liked guys that you didn't have to go tear down what these other coaches had told them in terms of their technique. You get to start off fresh. He, Charlie McBride loved having guys that were late adopters of football, and there's been a lot of great NFL guys recently and, and through the, the past that were late adopters of football as well. You look at Lawrence uh, Taylor. Lawrence Taylor didn't start playing football until his junior year of high school. Uh, Tom Brady played, but he wasn't very good up until his senior year. I'm pretty sure he didn't win the starting job at his high school until his senior year. Antonio Gates, future Hall of Famer. Uh, basketball guy. Basketball guy started playing football late. I mean, it's it's not a, a bad thing that somebody didn't pick up football until late in their career. Actually, some coaches say it's it's for the best that there's no bad habits you have to break down before you can teach them the good habits. So uh, it's an interesting name and at a position that we've talked about a little bit today with uh, no real production returning at the tight end position. It seems to be a, a wide open position for next year. They've got options, just not proven. Back tomorrow on Hale Varsity, Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt, Connor Clark. Thanks for tuning in. A Huda Media Production.